Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Uh, this weekend, we had the honor of hosting the Takoon Conference. And the Takoon Conference, Takoon is, a, is a, a fellowship of Messianic congregations here in the United States, but also in the land of Israel. And uh, we, we support them in every way possible uh, with our love, with our prayers, and with our finances. And uh, you guys can remember on Passover, on Good Friday this year, you know, we, we took up an offering for one of the Takoon churches in Tel Aviv that we're very much uh, in partnership with. And I just saw the pictures of the sanctuary that they were able to build out in Tel Aviv. And man, I just wanna say thank you guys for giving. It's a great uh, prevailing church. They're reaching uh, Jews, they're reaching Arabs. They do a tremendous amount of outreach uh, in the city there in Tel Aviv. And uh, you know, Tel Aviv's about 70% agnostic and, and atheist. It's very different from Jerusalem. Come on, how many know that's where the Gentiles fit in? Show us where all the pagans are. We can, we can, <laughs> we can, we can, we can flow because we, we were people that God reached that were just like that. And so um, we're just grateful for um, you guys and your giving and your partnership with Israel and the churches there. And we had an amazing conference this weekend. It was so powerful. And we have with us one of the speakers uh, that was at the conference, and that is Dr. Michael Brown. And before Dr. Brown comes up, I wanna tell you a few things about Dr. Brown. Some of you know him. He's one of the most respected theological voices in our nation. He's a Hebrew scholar. He has a great program on radio, YouTube. He speaks all over the world in several seminaries. He's gonna be speaking in just a moment, but I wanna tell you where I first met Dr. Brown, and it was over 21 years ago. It was the year that we were planning the church here in Jacksonville. And uh, how many of you remember the, the, the Brownsville Revival? It's out of Pensacola. Yes, about 10 of us, because it was a while ago. No, I'm just kidding. No, so there was this great revival going on in, uh, in Brownsville right outside of Pensacola. So Pastor Chris and I were like, let's, you know, let's go to the revival before we plant the church. And so uh, we went down there and it was a great service. And then at the end, um, uh, they were praying for people at the altar. So I went down there for prayer. Um, Pastor Chris went down there. He needed to get saved. I told him he had to get saved before he planned the church with me. And so we went down there and, and, and Dr. Brown was praying for people and he was praying over us, but then he had a, a prophetic word for us. We told him we were planting a church uh, in Jacksonville. And he had a powerful prophetic word about, you know, you know, in the future, how God was gonna um, use, uh, how, how God was gonna move in Jacksonville and that he was gonna use our church to minister to other pastors and, and even other nations. You know, it's one of those prophecies you're like, okay, great, that'll be great when that happens. Do you, you know like a good gym or, you know, so, you know, somewhere where we could, you know, have a place to, uh, to you know, to, start a church or or something like that. But it was really a powerful word and it's interesting now that he's preaching here. So many of those things that we're seeing come to pass are 21 years later when he happens to be here with us speaking. And this is, and then Dr. Brown, he had this great way of praying for people. 
And so I just got his regular prayer, but I think he saw, I don't know if he saw Chris needed deliverance or something like that was, that was going on. And so he prayed for me and then he prayed for Chris, but he gave him the, the fire punch, like, <laughs> those are back in the days, like you could punch people in church and it was like a good thing. Today you get a lawsuit, like back then you're like, it, it really wasn't a punch, it was just kind of a, you know, something. Holy Spirit fist bump. But he's, he's been such a blessing to ministry. <laughs> We're so glad you're here. Come on up, Dr. Brown. Y'all give him a big, big hand, Dr. Michael Brown. And uh, so, so I wanna say this. I asked Dr. Brown to speak on what he's gonna speak on. He has a great resource with the message that he's gonna speak. And I wanna let everyone know this is gonna be a heavy message, okay? And, but, but, but we believe in growing in maturity in Jesus, yeah? And so he's gonna talk about anti-Semitism and the history of that in the church. Many of you know, we're going over to Auschwitz next year and we're, we're doing a, a communion uh, service over there. And uh, what God's been doing in our church with the table and, for, and forgiveness and um, uh, you know, how he's, he's doing away with prejudice and, and hatred and racism in the church. And this is a key, key part of that, amen? So are y'all ready to receive the word today? All right, give it up for Dr. Brown one more time. Praise God. A fire, fire. Okay, it's normally the right hand works better. Well, another service when we feel, feel right for that. Uh, okay, just for all the internet critics, I wanna clarify that I didn't actually punch people. Just wanted to clarify that. I mean, we could give you a punch one day if you want like an honorary punch, we could do that. But I, it just was a habit I had, we prayed for tens of thousands of people over those years. And when I prayed for a guy, I would I just put my fist in their stomach and just pray fire, you know, the fire of the spirit, fire of God's holiness. And that's how I pray. And I remember, you know, one night, my wife, Nancy, been married now since 76. And, and she, um, she was watching as I was praying for people. And there was a friend of ours, a Messianic Jewish worship leader. And um, I prayed for him and the power of God fell upon him and he fell on the ground and was touched by God. And, but the next day he said, you know, Mike, you're a little rough praying for me. I said, I barely touched you. He goes, no, you're, you're a little rough. And, and my wife, Nancy said, look, Mike, I always gotta be careful, I always tell you. So I said, okay, so the next night, the next night, and with falling, shaking, that wasn't the issue. We'd say every night, the issue is how you're living five years later, amen? Not did you fall, but how are you, how are you walking out of the building? That's, that's the issue. But people many times would encounter God, be overcome by the Spirit. And so the next night, he's wanting prayer. And it so happens, I see Nancy's just kind of walking. My wife Nancy's just kind of walking in the balcony and just praying. And so he's there with his eyes closed. So I get her attention. And I, you know, are you watching? And so I get her attention. So I, I stretch out one finger and I barely get near him. And it's like a bomb goes off. And I look up like, okay. So it wasn't, wasn't the punch. It was the... Spirit, all right. Plus, 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 I didn't, I didn't plan on saying any of this, so it must be the Holy Spirit leading me to, right? That, isn't that the excuse when you get on a tangent you didn't plan on getting on? Okay, but all, all that to say, uh, what matters is, is the Holy Spirit touching people. 
Are you being changed by God? That's, that's the issue. And people can't do it. You can manipulate, you can work people up, but lasting change only comes through encountering God. Amen? So we are, we are thrilled to be here with you and want to be an ongoing resource for you. On the way out, uh, stop by our book table, which is out the doors to the left there. And even if you don't get any of the materials, grab one of these cards. It's our website, askdrbrown.org. And we serve as your voice. Have you ever watched TV news on any side and you get frustrated? And the talking heads are like, oh, I wish somebody would say it. Well, I was on Piers Morgan a few years back when he was on CNN. And he asked me a question about, you know, when did Jesus say anything about gay or being gay? That was an easy question. So I addressed it and set the record straight. And one of my, one of my friends, a pastor, said, man, I, I was shouting at the TV. And you're like, yes, because there was finally someone saying what he wanted to say. So we have a great platform. We reach millions of people through social media. We have our daily radio show, which you can watch online uh, on video stream. Uh, you can also get the podcast. And I normally write about five articles a week. So all the stuff swirling around us and politics and the craziness of it, trying to bring a biblical kingdom perspective. So grab one of these cards. It says askdrbrown.org and our threefold burden, revival in the church, gospel-based revolution in society. In other words, Jesus changes us, we change the world, and redemption in Israel. And on the back is info on our ministry school. Uh, folks that are sitting right here today doing great work around the world were touched in that school. We brought the whole thing completely online. So grab one of those cards on the way out. And uh, we, we've got a bunch of books that we ship. Pastor Stowell asked if we do a book signing afterwards. So I'll be glad to meet you at the book table. And uh, this book, The Real Kosher Jesus, was written when a rabbi friend of mine, an Orthodox rabbi, wrote a book called Kosher Jesus, trying to change the Jesus of the New Testament to make him more acceptable to Jews, called Kosher Jesus. So God moved on me to write a response called The Real Kosher Jesus. And this is the number one book that I wrote to give to a Jewish person seeking truth. And the number one book I wrote for a Christian to show them the Jewish roots of the faith. So that book is there. And then I'll, I'll be preaching material. Everything I'm gonna say today is found in this book, Our Hands Are Stained With Blood, the tragic story of the church and the Jewish people. It came out in 92. I wrote it with many tears and a broken heart. It's been translated and gone around the world. We just put out a brand new, revised and expanded edition. And we're gonna talk about anti-Semitism in church history. Christian anti-Semitism. I mean, it's as bizarre as Christian racism, and yet these things have existed in the church. And, and hear me, when I got saved in 71, it's a heroin shooting, LSD using long-haired hippie drummer, 16-year-old unsaved Jewish rebel. I got saved in a little Italian Pentecostal church, and they had a great love for Israel and the Jewish people. And as I've traveled around the world and spoken thousands of times in the nations, I have been confronted by incredible Christian love for Israel and the Jewish people literally around the world. But in the last year, I have confronted more anti-Semitism among professing Christians than in the previous 47 years combined. I, I, I saw a Twitter comment the other day and a guy said, listen, 
our generation doesn't care about anti-Semitism, boomer. So he referred to me, part of the boomer generation. So I, I decided to respond and I said, then get an education, son, with a smiley face. <laughs> the fact is we need to sound the alarm today and you'll understand why as we get into this message. I will encourage you at the end, all right? Sounds like they don't believe me. Just everyone got, no, I am. It's gonna be a heavy message, but you'll be encouraged at the end, all right? But I wanna assure you, I'm gonna make things very plain, all right? So quick story and we open the scriptures. 1986, I was preaching for a friend and it got me invited to a, a church of about 600 in Washington, D.C. It was an all black church. And I can do scholarly work, I teach at seminaries, I write scholarly books, commentaries on books of the Bible, but my preaching is always really simple and clear. It always has been since I started preaching in 73. So I, I'm preaching away in this church, basically the only white person with my wife in the whole building, and I'm preaching away, and somebody in the congregation yells out, make it plain. And I thought, I, I'm making it very plain. I mean, I'm simple and clear. I'm not using difficult vocabulary. I'm making it very plain. And then I'm preaching away, so I try to simplify it. So then I'm preaching away, and one of the elders shouts out, make it plain. I said, I, I cannot possibly make it any more plain. And then the light went on. Oh, that's how they say amen. Preach it, brother. Make it plain. Make it plain. So I... It took me a little while to catch on. So I'm gonna make it plain today, all right? I'm gonna say it, I'm gonna make it plain. And that little laughter is the anesthesia before the surgery to come here, all right? <laughs> so Father, our hearts are open. Truly, we ask, give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna read some from Romans 11. Let me give you the background to Romans. The congregation in Rome was founded by Jewish believers as the early churches, early congregations were. But then in the early 40s, the emperor banished all Jews from Rome and that included Jewish followers of Jesus. So now the congregation which had started Jewish and had Gentiles coming in, it became entirely Gentile. And then, after the edict was reversed, Jews could come back. So now the Jewish believers were coming back to a congregation that they had started but was now all Gentile. How do you work together? How do you incorporate together? How do you embrace each other? And Paul wanted to be sure that the Roman believers understood the foundations of the gospel. So after the introduction in chapter one, he spends the next couple of chapters showing how all human beings are guilty of sin and under divine judgment. And then he spends a couple of chapters showing how we're justified by faith alone, not by works. And then he spends a few chapters talking about our victory over sin and life in the spirit. And then he spends a few chapters talking about Israel. This was foundational to Paul. One of my colleagues says, if you don't understand Israel, you don't understand Paul's gospel. But he's also addressing the issue of Jew and Gentile together in one body. It comes up later in the 14th chapter. You know, what if you do if you have different customs and practices? How can you be one in the midst of the diversity? 
But there was a problem now for the, the Gentile believers. I mean, the Jewish believers are back. They're the ones that founded things and started things. What if there's Gentile insecurity? And what of the fact that in the olive tree, he, he likens the, the, the people of God to, to an olive tree. So all the branches originally were Israelites, and now some have not believed, so they've been cut off, right? And, and now branches from a wild tree, the Gentiles, they have been grafted in. So, so here's what he says in Romans, the 11th chapter. He says this, if some of the branches have been broken off, verse 17, and you though a wild olive shoot have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. In Romans 11, he warns of the danger of an insecurity that can lead to arrogance. God's done with those branches. God's finished with Israel. We are the new Israel. The church is the new Israel and has replaced the old Israel. The old Israel is cursed. It rejected Moses and the prophets and Messiah. And the old Israel, the Jewish people are forever cursed. The church is blessed. It's a theology that we call replacement theology, that the church has replaced Israel. If you want a technical name, it's called supersessionism because the church has superseded Israel. So this is the way Christians began to read the Bible. All the promises that God gave to Israel in the Old Testament now apply to the church in the New Testament. But what about Israel? They're done with. They're finished. And it is this teaching that opened the floodgates of Jew hatred, of anti-Semitism through the church. Instead of honoring the Jewish fathers, the church curse them. We read from Romans 11, 17 to 19. And you see, rather than provoking the Jews to jealousy, the church drove them away. Old Testament scholar Franz Dalitz said this over 100 years ago. The church still owes the Jews the actual proof of Christianity's truth. Is it surprising that the Jewish people are such an insensitive and barren field for the gospel? The church itself has drenched it in blood and then heaped stones upon it. When I was growing up, I was not in a religious Jewish home, but the only time you would ever hear Jesus Christ mentioned was profanity. If my father lost his temper, which was very rare, he might say Jesus Christ. I've spoken to religious Jews and at the mention of his name, they literally spit on the floor. I remember I was doing an outreach lecture at Yale University one time, a Jewish outreach, and these ultra-Orthodox rabbis came in, and at the end of the presentation, here I am in a lecture hall at Yale University. We gave them the mic so we could interact and, and debate the issues, and when one of them would mention the name of Jesus, he said it in a derogatory way, and he spat on the floor of the lecture hall. In his mind, there's a straight line from the New Testament to the Holocaust. And Jesus is some evil outsider who brought destruction on the Jewish people. I've been a visiting or adjunct professor at seven different seminaries. And I've talked to some leading church historians. I mean, church historians that, that forget more church history in a day than I've learned in a lifetime. And I've asked them in your church history courses, when do you teach about anti-Semitism in church history? They've looked at me with embarrassment and said, we don't. Look at what Catholic scholar Edward Flannery said. 
the vast majority of Christians, even well-educated, are all but totally ignorant of what happened to Jews in history and of the culpable involvement of the church. It is a little exaggeration to state that those pages of history Jews have committed to memory are the very ones that have been torn from Christian and secular history books. How is it that this separation came? How is it that something that grew out of Jewish soil, a message of a Jewish Messiah preached by Jewish apostles, how is it it got so separated from the Jewish people? Yes, Jewish leadership rejected Jesus. Yes, judgment did come. Jerusalem was destroyed as a result of our leader's rejection of the Messiah. But how is it that this message, Matthew starts with, with, with the book of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, Yeshua the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. How is it that this now became something so un-Jewish? How is it that Easter and Passover are two separate holidays celebrated at two different times of the year? It goes back in history. There was a debate in the early church whether to follow the, the custom of the apostles so that the, the death and resurrection of Yeshua would be celebrated during Passover or should it be at a set date? For example, Thanksgiving is what the third Thursday of November, whatever that date is. Christmas is December 25th, so it's a specific date and it doesn't matter what day of the week it is. So there was a debate, do we follow the Jewish calendar and celebrate the death and resurrection of the Messiah with Passover, or do we have it a fixed date on our own calendar? So Emperor Constantine converts to Christianity and then calls the entire Roman Empire to be Christianized, but he does not want any association with the Jews. And he does not want Easter to be the same date as Passover. Listen to what he said. It was declared to be particularly unworthy for this, the holiest of all festivals, to follow the custom in the calculation of the Jews who had soiled their hands with the most fearful of crimes and whose minds were blinded. And he said, we ought therefore to have nothing to do with the Jews for the Savior has shown us another way. We desire, dearest brethren, to separate ourselves from the detestable company of the Jews, for it is truly shameful for us to hear them boast that without their direction, we could not keep the feast. It would still be your duty not to tarnish your soul by communications with such wicked people. So we need to separate from everything Jewish if we are to be Christian. Go a few decades later, John Chrysostom, he was given the name Chrysostom after his death. It means golden mouth because he was the great preacher of his day. Lived from the mid to late 300s and the early 400s. And even though he believed that there was a future of salvation and restoration for the Jewish people, he became very hostile to the Jews in his day. When there were people in his church in Antioch who were interested in the synagogue and the Jewish calendar and things like that, and perhaps Jewish believers still living as Jews, he got provoked and he preached his infamous seven sermons against the Jews. There was ultimately an eighth one. And, and, and these sermons were so hateful towards the Jewish people that the Nazis reprinted them. And I've asked church historians, when you teach on Chrysostom, how much time do you devote to his seven sermons against the Jews? And they say, we don't mention it. This is what Chrysostom said around 386. The synagogue is worse than a brothel. It is the den of scoundrels and the repair of wild beasts, the temple of demons devoted to idolatrous cults, the refuge of brigands and debauchees, the cavern of devils. All the quotes in this book, our hands are stained with blood. 
It is a criminal assembly of Jews, a place of meeting for the assassins of Christ, a house worse than a drinking shop, a den of thieves, a house of ill fame, a dwelling of iniquity, the refuge of devils, a gulf and abyss of partition. I would say the same things about their souls. As for me, I hate the synagogue, I hate the Jews for the same reason. The theology was developed that the Jews were guilty of deicide, killing God, because they killed Jesus, who is God in the flesh. And the people who kill God are destined to suffer. A theology was developed that the more the Jewish people suffer on the earth, the more proof there is to the gospel. So as the church became triumphant and built its great monuments and cathedrals, and the Jewish people were scattered, this was the proof of the truth of Christianity. Fast forward now into the 11th century, the Catholic Church is, is a political power and a military power. And the Catholic leaders are upset over Muslim incursions. The Muslims were advancing by the sword and taking lands and, and controlling the Holy Land. And the leaders decided we have to take back the land that's been taken from us and, and free the Holy Land for pilgrims and things like that. And that's the origin of the Crusades. Some church organized, some just by the, the will of the mobs. But 1096, the first crusade begins, the crusader armies begin marching through Europe and they're gonna kill the, the infidels, they're gonna kill the unbelieving Muslims and drive them out of the Holy Land. But then they realize as they're marching, wait a second, we have worse enemies right here. We have the assassins of Christ. And they began to turn on people they'd lived with in communities for, for centuries. They began to turn on them and say baptism or death. In fact, a slogan was developed in the Crusades, kill a Jew and save your soul. And, and even though the word crusade can be used in positive ways, I have friends of mine who are powerful evangelists and they'll hold mass gospel crusades and preach to hundreds of thousands of people and it's a good word to them, but it's not a good word in Jewish ministry. You don't have a gospel crusade to reach Jews. It's an insulting term. The crusader armies with the cross emblazoned on their uniforms and carrying the banner of the cross. When they came into Jerusalem, 1099 conquered the Muslim and Jewish resistance. It's reported that the crusader armies burned the Jews alive in the great synagogue in Jerusalem while singing, Christ, we adore thee, as they marched around the building. This is what Jews know in their history when they think about Jesus. They don't know the beautiful savior. They don't know the truth of the gospel. They don't know the one who came and, and died that we could live. They have this hate-filled version. It's because the church has so often pushed Jewish people away from Jesus. These were baptismal confessions and, and, and church decrees. So if you're gonna get baptized as a Jew, this is, this is some of what you'd have to say. I renounce all customs, rites, legalisms, unleavened breads, and sacrifices of lambs of the Hebrews, and all the other feasts of the Hebrews. So if you're gonna follow Jesus, you have to renounce being Jewish. Sacrifices, prayers, aspersions, purifications, sanctifications, and propitiations, and fasts, and new moons, and Sabbaths, and superstitions. You can't observe the Sabbath if you're gonna follow Jesus hymns and chants and observances and synagogues and the food and drink of the Hebrews. In one word, I renounce absolutely everything Jewish. Can you imagine that? Every law, right, and custom, and above all, I renounce Antichrist, whom all the Jews await in the figure and form of Christ, and I join myself to the true Christ and God. 
And you had leaders like Peter the Venerable in the 12th century, known as the, the meekest of men, a model of Christian charity. He said, you, you Jews, I say, do I address you? You who till this very day deny the Son of God, how long, poor wretches, will you not believe the truth? Truly, I doubt whether a Jew can be really human. These were some of the lies put forth over the centuries as Jews were dehumanized and then demonized. And in 1215, where the Catholic Church in the Fourth Lateran, Fourth Lateran Council officially stated that the, the wafer and the wine during communion were literally the body and blood of Jesus, Jews were now accused of kidnapping and torturing wafers. This was their way of attacking Jesus. There were Jews burned at the stake for allegedly kidnapping and torturing a communion wafer. People believe this. You say, but man, a lot of these people weren't even Christians, and, and, and this was an apostate church, and Martin Luther came with the Reformation. He did, thankfully. 1523, he wrote a little book that Jesus Christ was born a Jew, and it's gracious and humble. And he said, if I had been a Jew and seen these coarse blockheads running the church, I would have rather been a pig than a Christian. And he decides, you know, I'm going to reach out with meekly, and, and they're the older brothers and sisters, and maybe we can win them to the Lord. 20 years later, when the Jewish people have not turned to the Lord, when instead the gospel has been resisted, when Luther has been shown some literature, blasphemous literature written by some Jews attacking Jesus, and he now believes that in the synagogue, every service, they, they curse Christians, and people in some of his churches are interested in finding more about the synagogue and things like that, he writes another book, 1543, concerning the Jews and their lies. This is all well known, any historian, any book you read on Luther that acknowledges this, this is all known, this is not disputed. Luther said this, verily a hopeless, wicked, venomous, and devilish thing is the existence of these Jews who for 1400 years have been and still are our pest, torment, misfortune. They are just devils and nothing more. No Christian that next to the devil that has no enemy more cruel, more venomous, and violent than a true Jew. He had a theological opponent named Erasmus who said, who is there among us who does not hate this race of men? If it is Christian to hate the Jews, here we are, all Christians in profusion. So Luther gave concrete counsel to the princes how to deal with the Jews. First, their synagogue should be set on fire. And whatever does not burn up should be covered or spread over with dirt so that no one may ever be able to see a cinder or stone of it. This ought to be done for the honor of God and of Christianity. Martin Luther. I've talked to church historians. When you teach on Martin Luther, when do you talk about this? He said, we don't. It'd be like teaching American history and leaving out slavery and segregation. How in the world could you do that? Luther. Secondly, their homes should likewise be broken down and destroyed, for they perpetrate the same things there that they do in their synagogues. For this reason, they ought to be put under one roof or in a stable like gypsies. Thirdly, they should be deprived of their prayer books and Talmuds in which such idolatry lies, cursing, and blasphemy are taught. Fourthly, their rabbis must be forbidden under threat of death to teach any more. Martin Luther. Later generations of Lutherans repudiated his writings, but the Nazis rediscovered them. Luther has been called the John the Baptist of Adolf Hitler. As I said, in the minds of most traditional Jews, the Holocaust and Christianity are inextricably linked. So a few days ago, November 9th, was the anniversary of what's called Kristallnacht, 
This is known as the beginning of the Holocaust by historians, November 9th, 1938. And, and it so happens that the next day was Martin Luther's birthday. November 9th, 1938, the Nazis went public with their Jew hatred. Also as a test to see if there'd be a response from the people, which there wasn't. And what did they do? They broke down Jewish places of business. They beat and killed some Jews. And they set the synagogues on fire, just as Luther counseled. Author Daniel Jonah Goldhagen said this. One leading Protestant churchman, Bishop Martin Zassa, published a compendium of Martin Luther's anti-Semitic vitriol shortly after Kristallnacht's orgy of anti-Jewish violence. In the forward to the volume, he applauded the burning of the synagogues and the coincidence of the day. This is a German bishop. On November 10th, 1938, on Luther's birthday, the synagogues are burning in Germany. The German people, he urged, ought to heed these words of the greatest anti-Semite of his time, the warner of his people against the Jews. So the synagogue set on fire November 9th, November 10th, Germans wake up and the synagogues are burning and the bishop says, isn't that awesome on Luther's birthday? Julius Streicher, Nazi leader, testified during the war trials. He said, Dr. Martin Luther would very probably sit in my place in the defendant's dock today if this book had been taken into consideration by the prosecution. In the book, The Jews and Their Lies, Dr. Martin Luther writes that the Jews are a serpent's brood and one should burn down their synagogues and destroy them. Jump ahead to today. Popular conservative comedian, big on the internet, Owen Benjamin, professes to be a Christian. He recently declared that Jews use pornography to destroy the masculine strength of American men so that they'll be unable to father children and have the courage to protect their families from Jewish control. He said, it's literally by design, so the West doesn't have kids. He said, the Jews are only 1% of the population, and yet they're in control of the media, all of banking, pornography, opioids, the standard Jew, the lie, the Jews control everything. Reverend Ted Pike, an evangelical leader, wrote this decades ago. He was on my show, my radio show recently, and said, yeah, he still believes this. He says, we have unearthed irrefutable evidence that Israel is a dominant and moving force behind the present and coming evils of our day. To our amazement, we find that Israel is not that trusted, familiar friend we thought we had known. Rather, she is a misshapen facsimile of everything we had so fondly bid God speak to. He said, we are at last confronted with a monstrous system of evil, which if unresisted will destroy us and our children and bring the whole world into such darkness, oppression, and satanic dominion that only the coming of Jesus Christ can make it right again. This is what an evangelical prayer leader says the Jews are going to do. Best-selling evangelical author Tex Mars, former history professor, 2016, he published Holy Serpent of the Jews, the rabbi's secret plan for Satan to crush their enemies and vault the Jews to global dominion. Hundreds of thousands of people believe this. They follow this online. They believe it's true. He said, of all the diseased schools of racial supremacism, I am convinced that the Jewish specimen is the most evil and most threatening to the lives, bodies, and eternal destinies of humankind. Zionism has existed as a satanic ideological force in opposition to all things good and even to life itself for 3,000 years. 
Zionism and its accompanying religious disease, Judaism, are the champions of all time in terms of the total number of innocent men, women, and children being in prison and concentration camps, beaten, bludgeoned, raped, robbed, humiliated, and unmercifully slaughtered. Zionism, he blames on this. The Jews are on the fast track to their occult fate. They have made an agreement with hell, a covenant with death, and payments on their debt to Satan must be made in accordance with their contractual agreement. He says the ultimate goal of the Jews is the annihilation of almost every Gentile man, woman, and child, and the establishment of a satanic Jewish-led global dictatorship, the Jewish utopia, encompassing the planet. This goal is expressed by the Jews in their most sacred books, the Babylonian Talmud and the Kabbalah. And then they pull quotes out of these books, which are often obscure, to try to make it look, yes, there's a secret plan produced to take over the whole world. I've had people call my radio show recently and say, is it true that laws are going to be passed and Jews are going to start beheading Christians around the world? Like, where are you getting this from? And the moment I speak the truth about it, there's a flood of attack on me on the internet. I don't mind the attack. I'm just saying people believe this. Tex Mars even reprinted on the Jews in their lives. Luther's book that the Nazis used. He thought it's a brilliant book. How about this? April of this year. Just a little bit more bad news than I'm going to encourage you. All right? Probably ready for the encouragement by now. But this is truth. This is truth. Poway Synagogue shooting. Poway, California, next to San Diego. April of this year. Synagogue shooter was a member of an Orthodox Presbyterian church. In his manifesto, explaining why he did what he did, he said, I did not choose to be a Christian. The Father chose me. The Son saved me. And the Spirit keeps me. Why me? I do not know. But as a Christian, he has a responsibility. Quote, there's no love without hatred. You cannot love God if you do not hate Satan. You cannot love righteousness if you do not also hate sin. You cannot love your own race if you do not hate those who wish to destroy it. Love and hate are two sides of the same coin, and therefore he must hate the Jews and kill them. And he gives a list of reasons. He quotes verses from the New Testament about the evil of the Jews. That's how he interprets it. And this is why he must kill them. Quote, finally, for their role in the murder of the Son of Man, that is the Christ, every Jew, young and old, has contributed to these. Every Jew on the planet is guilty of the death of Jesus and therefore should be killed. And here's a YouTube comment, September 29th. It is so shocking that your people pulled another false flag shooting and made sure the perp was a violent Christian. We know how evil you are, Brown. So in other words, Jews set this up to make it look like a Christian was killing Jews. The, the whole synagogue shooting was just put on to look a certain way. Then someone else posts this, and this is representative of thousands, tens of thousands of comments. Dr. Brown, I hope you're humble enough to hear this video to the end because I think you really need it. And it's linked to a six and a half hour video compilation containing the narration of all of John Chrysostom's sermons against the Jews. She wants me to watch six and a half hours of attacks on the Jewish people from John Chrysostom and hopes I'm humble enough to hear it. Let me just play this for you really quick. This is an evangelical news network that says ISIS never existed, it was actually Israel that says that Zionism is responsible for the sexual revolution and the Jews own the White House. Here's an altar call for Christians to repent of standing with Israel. Just listen to this. They're saying Jerusalem is eternal. There's only one thing that's truly eternal, and that's God the Father. That's the only one, the only one. 
And so if you're watching this today and you say, Doc, I've never seen it before. I've never understood it before. What do I do? You need to repent right now. You need to call out to God right now and say, God, I, Lord, I'm so sorry. I don't know how I was so deceived. I don't know how I was so bewitched by, by all of this. I thought it was a good thing to support the people of Israel. I thought it was a good thing to help Israel. But now I see it's just people using the name of Israel, people using the people of Israel in order to line their own pockets, in order to build their own kingdoms, in order to make themselves feel important. But Lord, right now I repent. I turn away from it. I look the other way now. Jesus, you are my Zion. By the way, good news. They don't have enough funding to continue their show, so they're going off the air. Just to mention that. But here's the good news, friends. Here's the good news. The church will provoke Israel to envy. The love of God poured out in your hearts, your desire to see Jewish people saved, your walking in the life and the fullness of the spirit, your tears of pain for what church leaders have done to the Jews through history, that will turn the hearts of Jewish people. And you know, in Israel today, there's a recognition that the best friends Israel has on the planet are evangelical Christians. And in prayer with dear Korean Christians a few years back, Almost 30 years ago, as they were sobbing and praying for the salvation of Jewish people and God's hand of protection on them, the Spirit said to me that the tears of repentance will wipe away the stain of blood. So I close here, Romans 11. Paul asks in the 11th verse, did they, meaning the people of Israel, stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. So Israel has not fallen for all time. Israel will rise, but it will be through the gospel work in the church. But if their transgression means riches for the world, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? Right now, all over the planet, people are getting saved. Former terrorists, former prostitutes, drug addicts. Cruel people, heartless people, atheists, religious hypocrites, people around the globe getting gloriously saved, Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims. That's because Israel got things wrong. What happens when Israel gets things right? And he says this, I'm talking to you Gentiles in as much as I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world. Hundreds of millions of people coming to faith through Israel's rejection. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Here's how it's gonna end. A Jewish Jerusalem is going to be in repentance and welcome back the Jewish Messiah. And when he returns, it is literally life from the dead. Not just blind eyes open, not just people getting out of wheelchairs, but millions of people getting out of their graves, resurrected to be with the Lord forever. That's why the devil has fought this so passionately. And that's why God is putting in the hearts of churches like yours a love for the Jewish people, a sense of connection to the Jewish people, because together we're gonna see the Lord's return. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, write this in our hearts. May this be an eternal deposit. 
May the prayers of this church, everyone watching online in different campuses, may the prayers of this church help usher in the salvation of the Jewish people and the return of the King. In Yeshua's name, amen. Thank you so much. God bless you. I'll meet you over at the book table. Amen. And Dr. Brown, you're, you're going to be out there signing books for a little while. I'll re- give it up for Dr. Brown. I really, man. Wow. I want to please ask no one leave. I really, uh, we're going to pray the blessing over you and just please just respect this time right now. But look what uh, Jerusalem, I'm just thinking right there in Revelations, the new Jerusalem adorned as a bride coming down out of heaven. We all better hope Jerusalem is eternal because that's our home forever. Our family, Jew and Gentile. Says for he himself is our peace, speaking of Jesus, our Messiah, who has made both one. He's talking about Jew and Gentile. And has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in its ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both. That he might reconcile them both, Jew and Gentile, to God in what? One body, through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity or any hatred or separation. It's amazing how scripture can be so clear that we, Jesus can say the very words that the world will know you by your love for one another. That we can see the very, one of the key purposes of the cross was to destroy any separation or enmity between Jew and Gentile because our heavenly father wants a family of all nations, all colors, all races, all creeds. And what I want to do right now is, is, is I want to pray because in this new time, what God has done with the table, with the body and blood of Jesus, communion, what he's doing is he's, he's boy, he's, he's just bringing to bear and bringing into the light all things that separate us from him and one another. We learn prejudice. We learn, you know, we, we learn things at our natural tables that are contrary to God's table. We learn to be prejudiced towards people because of their race or their color of skin or because they have less money or more money or less educated or more educated. It, you know, the devil has a hundred different ways to sow hatred and enmity into the human race. But when we talk about the Jewish people, like Jesus was Jewish, like without a Jewish Messiah, there is no savior of the world. It was the Jewish Messiah. Like the apostles were Jewish. The Lord is restoring order through forgiveness and reconciliation. 
And we need to understand as the people of God, all of, you know, it's like Dr. Brown said, in our country, you know, African-America, how, how can you talk about America with not talking about the horrors and injustices that were done in slavery? You know, slavery, same thing. You can find all kind of Christians, Christian quotes, people that Christians quote today in churches that, that were c- completely for slavery. And what I'm saying is in this new time church, I'm calling us, the Lord is calling all of us into a new time where it's, it's, it's not just words, it's like a supernatural work of God in our hearts that we're truly, watch, we have to forgive people that have hurt us. We have to forgive people that have oppressed us. We, we have, to, we, we have to, to, to lay down the offenses at the foot of the cross and take up the heart of Jesus and the spirit of Jesus. Jesus suffered offense, Jesus suffered persecution. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray that we take to heart everything that Dr. Brown said, Lord, and God, that we would, we would truly understand that you have called us to be one family, demonstrating love to one another. God, that the, the purpose, the, the, well, the main purposes of, of G, reconciliation, it was not just uh, man to God, but, but man to one another. Lord, that you've, you've you abolished any calls for separation or enmity, and you've called us to be one loving family equals in Messiah, Lord, under the blood of Jesus. And so, Father, we thank you for what you're doing in our midst. We repent of any prejudice, racism, hatred towards any people group, any person, any, it it just, it has no place in your kingdom, Lord. So we just thank you for the power of the blood of Jesus where we can be free and we can be one family. We thank you so much for Israel. Lord, we thank you that Jewish blood was spilt for us so that we could be saved. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're restoring in this time. Lord, and you're coming back for a body, you're coming back for a bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. One new man. In Jesus, our Messiah. And everybody said, amen and amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.